All right. So today on the podcast, we have Coach Shane Richardson from Elkins High School in Elkins, West Virginia. Uh, in 2012, he moved to West Virginia, uh, to Elkins, West Virginia, and started his teaching career. This is his eighth year teaching uh, special ed in Randolph County. It's his third year at Elkins High. Uh, this is his second year coaching varsity football. Uh, he coached the defensive line and the tight ends and split ends. This will be uh, a conversation I know you'll love. Coach is very, uh, very wise, and I really enjoy talking to him. Oh, all right. So we have Coach Richardson on the podcast today. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. Appreciate it. Man, um, we connected on Twitter. Uh, like it's most most of my coaching friends that I don't coach with. It's the Twitter is the way to do it. What do you use Twitter for? Like connecting with people? How do you how do you use Twitter? Uh, I only use Twitter for football related stuff. I never had it until this year, and then I decided to to network and ask questions of guys who know more than me, and it just sort of took off from there. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the key, man. I I, I remember, you know, going back the, not years ago because I'm only like 35, but. I mean, you used to have to go to clinics to meet people, you know, sure. do you remember those days? Were you like around in those days? Coaching? Well, actually, I mean, this is only my second year coaching football. So I, I've been on the clinics, you know, only for two seasons, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's a good way to network, but I feel like Twitter's so instantaneous and I feel like you can, you can get in contact with coaches from any level and they seem to be receptive. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, that's that's the coolest thing is you can shoot a Twitter message to somebody and you're thinking, man, this guy may not get back to me because he's like big time. Sure. But then, then it gets back to you. Most of the time, they get back to you. It's really neat. Yeah, I was pretty shocked. I, I mean, once I started coaching the D line, um, I just started reaching out to uh, D line coaches across the country, really, and stuff started showing up on our team's huddle page. And Coach Hot's like, "What is this stuff?" And they're like, "God, oh, just give it to Coach Richardson. He asked for it." <laughs> That's awesome, Coach. So, Coach, before we get too far into it, introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell them a little bit about yourself, and I'll let you just go from there. All right, yeah. So, uh, again, my name's Shane Richardson. Um, I coach the defensive line and the tight ends and split ends at Elkins High School in Randolph County. Uh, I moved here in 2012 from York, Pennsylvania. Um, I graduated college from Millersville University of Pennsylvania with a teaching degree. And in Pennsylvania, you can't really get a teaching job without, you know, three to five years experience. So uh, my wife also uh, being a teacher, we started branching out up and down the East Coast and Elkins happened to give us a call and she got hired the Friday before school started. So um, she took the job. We drove back to Pennsylvania on Saturday, loaded up a U-Haul, moved down on Sunday she started work Monday, and I was hired Thursday. So it was pretty quick turnaround how we uh, ended up down here from Pennsylvania. You said you had to have three to five years' experience in Pennsylvania to get a job. That is wild. Yeah, I mean, there are certain school districts, naturally, that, that you could probably get a job quicker, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily maybe ones you're looking for. Um, uh, Pennsylvania is, you know, known for having high-paying teaching positions, and it's true, but they expect a lot from you. Uh, and they don't just kind of let anyone in right off the bat, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, <laughs> like you were saying, you can get in, but it may not be a spot you want to go. Is that sure. what you're trying to say? Yeah. 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 I mean, th that's the nicest way you can say it. Yeah. 
Oh, sure. But I mean, that, that's the reality of being a teacher. I don't think people understand that aren't teachers is people will look at, I know the West Virginia state website. So you'll look at it and there's like, I don't know, a thousand vacancies. I'm obviously I'm using some hyperbole there. Like that's not true. There's not a thousand, but there's a bunch. Um, and people are like, man, teachers can get any kind of job they want. Well, you know, you need to be a little picky about where you live and you know, what amenities are around there and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, talk a little bit about Elkins. I, I've been to like Blackwater Falls State Park, but I've never, is that, that's a, is that an Elkins or is that close that, to Elkins? It's, it's close. It's in Tucker County. It's about eh, 30 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Coach, I was way off. I'm sorry. My, no, I need um, like a, uh, directional, uh, advice about West Virginia right now. <laughs> well, I mean, Elkins is, is your typical, uh, mountain town, you know, uh, used to be, big time timber industry, which has, you know, sort of dwindled, but there's still, there's still timber jobs here. Not like it was back in the day. Um, I think uh, Elkins has approximately 10 to 11,000 residents. Um, we are double a now we were triple a for a few years, but at the last realignment, we went to double a um, and, you know, it's a good little town. It has, it has pretty much what you need to survive. And with quarter H being here, you can quickly get to Harrison County, uh, Morgantown, things like that. If, if you want more of the dining, shopping and, and things to do, but, uh, as an outdoorsman, I sort of like it here. Uh, you have a lot of mountains, a lot of wildlife, fishing, all that's right at your fingertips, skiing too. Lots of skiing around here. Oh, really? What's like, is there like a main ski resort in that area? Well, yeah, snowshoes just, just over the border in Pocahontas County. And then okay. just over the border to the north of us in Tucker, um, you have Canadian Valley State Park. Mm. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, we drove through there going to see my uh, in-laws who live in Maryland. And it's just, it's gorgeous. It's so, so beautiful there. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I mean, you get a lot of people coming in in the fall, you know, when the leaves are changing. Of course, the Mountain State Forest Festival is here. That draws a lot of people. Um, yeah, but, yeah, tourists in the winter, they do the Polar Express um, at the train depot. Uh, so a lot of folks come in and visit for that. But, yeah, it's a good town to to come, get away, enjoy, enjoy the outdoors. So that's what we see a lot of folks coming to do here. That's awesome, Coach. So, Coach, I was looking, as you were just talking, I was looking at your like your bio you sent me. You have a very unique, like position group. So you t you you coach D line and split ends. So right. <laughs> talk about that a little bit because that's a very you know that's a very unique job. I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody that that has that role. Yeah, um, on offense, I work with the tight ends and split ends. Uh, I played tight end in college at Mansfield University of Pennsylvania, which um, interestingly enough had had a little bit of a hiccup there, sort of like we did this year with COVID. Once I started out playing up there, they told us that they were disbanding the season. Um, and so you find that out, and uh, they they now run sprint football up there, um, sort of like okay. yeah. AP does down here. Um, mm -hmm. But at the time, they weren't offering that. So basically, I did a year, um, decided I wasn't going to stick around up there, and I transferred to Millersville University in Pennsylvania, and um, that's where I got my teaching degrees. But I, I played tight end, so Coach Hot thought it would be good to have me coach the tight ends and the split ends. In our offense, you know, running the wing tee, the split end is is a blocker, okay? I mean, yeah, we throw him the ball occasionally, but but he needs to know how to stalk, block, and block in space, similar to our tight ends. So I think that's how that kind of came about. 
Um, defense, uh, I played defensive end in high school. So coaching the big guys up front, it, it's kind of, you know, you know what the tight end wants to do on offense. So then you know what you need to teach your DNs on defense. Mm-hmm. Same with your nose. I, I think they sort of gel a little bit more than, than it may appear at first glance. But, yeah, it, it's, it is interesting uh, having two, two groups like that to work with each day. No doubt. So, Coach, when you say wing T, describe y'all's wing T because there's a bunch of different, you know, flavors of the wing T out there. Right. Um, it, this is pretty interesting as well. My cousin actually runs the offense, Zach Neff. Um, he moved down uh, two years after I did. There was a teaching job. He needed a job. I said, hey, man, you want to come down? And he actually started coaching before I did. Um, so him and coach hot and coach hot's father, Greg hot, who coached the program for many years before Evan did, um, they were a single wing offense. Um, Zach sort of gelled the wing T with the single wing. And we run a lot of jet series, lots of motions. Uh, when you have players like Dante Ramirez, TJ Guire, Demanuel Smith, you want to get those guys on the edge. And we did that a lot, but then we would also, there'd be times where we would revert back to run like running power. Um, out of single wing, unbalanced formations. Um, mm-hmm. And then he also sprinkled in some passing this year, running out of double two, double three, you know, four wides. Uh, so he really sort of took concepts from different types of offenses and, and brought them to what what our wing team was. But um, base series, you know, was uh, you'd be running trap, jet sweep, things of that nature, midline. Um, that's sort of what we did this season. That's awesome. I, I saw a thing on Twitter about uh, Ramirez is his last name. I think he moved from Virginia. That's that's a wild story. I mean, I, I didn't like watch all of it on Twitter, but it was like, man, that's really interesting. Right. So what happened there? His mother graduated from Elkins High, I believe, in 1996. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's when it was. And he still has mm-hmm. family here. His grandparents and some of his aunts and uncles live here. Um, when Virginia voted to cancel their football season, um, he needed some game tape this year because he's being recruited, you know, to play college football and they wanted a little more tape. So it just sort of fit. The family moved back home, um, got him enrolled in school. Uh, mom and dad took jobs here and then uh, he, he came out for our team and boy, he talked about electric from day one. Yeah, man, I got to play. I, I mean, I was just watching. I was just watching his his clips, and it was like, man, that guy can fly. He's a that's a good looking player. Where's he? Is he going anywhere? You think? Uh, I, I mean, honestly, he would like to go to WVU. Um, I, I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, Division right. two all day long, pretty much anywhere he wants to go. Um, his attitude is is great. His work ethic is contagious. He, he's a kid you want in your program. You know, coming to uh, a rural area like Elkins, um, sometimes, I guess to put it politely, outsiders are kind of looked at a little questionably until they prove themselves. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that lasted all of about two plays uh, on, the, on the first day of practice that he came, and, and he immediately fit right into the fold, and, and the kids took him under their wings. <laughs> Yeah, talent goes a long way with being accepted, I think. You know, like if you have a kid that transfers in and people are like, what's this guy about? And then he's like the best guy you have. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, and, and we have TJ Guire. Um, he was our three back this year. Essentially, I mean, it's a running back, but it's the fullback position. Um, right. And he would be the guy that would hit it between the tackles and could take it the distance at any time. Um, before Dante came, they could kind of key on that. Uh, you know, the best players getting the ball. Well, when you add Dante into the mix, 
you never know. You pick your poison. Are you going to stop him on the edge? Fine. TJ will gash you up the middle for 10 yards of carry. Are you going to try and load the box and try and stop midline? Go ahead. Dante's going to take it on the edge. Um, another thing with Dante, he's, he's an excellent receiver. Um, and he was able to split out, catch some balls. We sometimes put him in the X position. Um, we put him in motion all the time because once the word got out on him, which didn't take too long, people would start to try and cue on him. Um, and we just kind of we could use him as a decoy or we could put the ball in his hands. But he, he did it all. Uh, defense, tackling, uh, interceptions, fumble recoveries for touchdowns against grafting, kick returns for touchdowns. I mean, the kid did it all. He really helped our team this year. That's awesome. Coach, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and get this on on like the podcast, y'all played every game on the road this year and went to the second round of the playoffs. How in the world did y'all do that? Okay, well, <laughs> we found out um, about three days prior to the actual season. We were in summer camp, and we got word that our bleachers were condemned. Uh, they had an outside architect come in and look at them. Mm. They said that they, they couldn't be used. Um, we asked if we could play on the field and just not use the bleachers and have people bring chairs, and they just didn't think it was safe, and, and they being the architects. So – we find out, okay, we're playing all the games on the road. Um, Coach Hot did a real good job handling that situation. Um, that's that's a lot of adversity for a high school team to face. He brought the boys in, and he, he sort of told them, like, listen, guys, we control what we can control. Um, we're going to use this as motivation. Uh, wherever we play anywhere in this state, it doesn't matter. The field's 100 yards long. We're going to play football. And that sort of became a rallying cry. You know, they took our stadium, they took our field. We need to go out here and, and prove to everyone that, you know, um, we're not going to just kind of sit, sit here and roll over with that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I didn't watch y'all play Systemville, obviously, because they didn't let people in the games. But, right. I mean, I saw the score. I was like, my goodness, you know, like, and, then, and with, like, the way the season went, y'all weren't a typical, like, 16 seed. You know, like, no. y'all were a really very good football team, obviously. And, you know, certain teams only got in a certain amount of games. How many games did y'all play this year? Uh, we actually ended up with the playoffs. We got 10. We were 6-4 and four overall. Okay. Uh, we had two weeks where we had buys due to COVID. Or like, another team couldn't play because of the map, you know. Um, but the Sissonville game, yeah, I mean, our guys – pretty amped up for that one we had never won a playoff game in school history um we had been to the playoffs in 1980 1992 2003 2011 2012 prior to this season and hadn't won a playoff game uh, mm -hmm. we sort of used that as focus again we never focused on being a 16 seed okay we're our right. mantra was we're a football team we're here we belong we're gonna play football and, and let the dust fall as it may uh, so we went down there. Coach Hot had a great game plan. Coach Neff called a great offensive game. Um, Coach Jeff Triplett, he's our special teams uh, coordinator. He uh, was a punter for Navy. So he brings a wealth of experience. They, everyone kind of put this game plan together. We put our kids in a position to win, but really the kids responded. They knew what was on the line. They wanted to be the first team in school history to win that playoff game. And uh, we went down there right away, opening kickoff, kicked it off, uh, hit them, and they fumbled the ball. We got the ball and never looked back from there. So. Uh, that was a really good win for the school and for the program. That's awesome, Coach. Coach, we've talked some offense. Talk about defense. You know, what do you do on the D-line? What do you like to do? Um, you know, what's your style of coaching, things of that nature? 
Right. So when I came into to coaching the D line, I had always played in like a four three in high school. Okay. So I didn't know much. Coach Hot, he ran a variation to four two five. He's our defensive coordinator as well as our head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes we would we would run a three front and uh, we wanted to run a tight front to take up the interior gaps. I wasn't really familiar with that. I was used to, you know, uh, pinning your ears back and getting after the quarterback, but had to learn how to adapt and teach like a read and react defensive front. Um, of course, playing a three front, we get double teamed a lot. So we had to focus a lot more on how to defeat a double team block, uh, not getting too far off field. So it was an adjustment period for me. And the first year, I'm going to be honest, I kind of, I was underwater um, as a first year coach. I had coached multiple other sports at the middle school level, but let me tell you, football is a whole nother ball game. It, just because I played it and played it in college, there's so many moving parts, man. It, it just drowns you until you get your feet underneath you. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I don't think people understand the difference the difference between – I mean, not – I think people do, but a lot of people don't. People don't understand the difference between you played something and you have to coach something. Because I think coaching is far different than, than being a player. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I – at first, as a young coach, I was always like, man, why can't they do this? Like, I did this all the time. You know, it wasn't that hard. But then I got to think about it. I'm like, well – they need to be taught how to do it. Okay. Um, a lot of my guys on the D line, they, when they looked at playing D line, they thought you needed to fire out, crash into somebody. And if you weren't hitting somebody square in the chest, you weren't doing your job. Well, you know, we had to break it down uh, and, and being a teacher. And as you know, you've learned how to break things down fundamentally. So we had to take it the whole way back to like renumbering um, our alignment techniques, you know, defeating half a man, dropping double team blocks. We had to really build it up from the ground up. And, and again, I couldn't have really done that without coach hop because I was coming into, to just learning how to run a three front read and react defense. Um, this year I felt a lot more comfortable. I had a lot better practice plans. I knew what our guys needed to do up front to be successful and to make the defense successful. So I think, you know, again, once I got my feet under myself, um, it, it was a lot easier teaching those guys than it was when I was learning it along with them. Yeah, I, I think teaching, you know, coaching is teaching and teaching is coaching. You're trying to get people to execute your plan. Uh, so talk about your your like your DND plan. What do you what do you put in there? What what are your daily drills to get your guys ready to play? Uh, daily daily drills is you know we always start with stance step starts. I know it seems very simple, but it's muscle memory. I want to make sure those guys are getting their foot you know in the ground quickly, firing out. Um, we would go to um, basic get off moves. You know, we, we do chest striking, um, dip and rip, punch through, arm over, stuff like that. Um, and then if we were paying, playing a team like, say, Fairmont Senior that we knew was going to throw the ball a lot, uh, we would go into some pass rushing moves, get them on the hoops, figure eighting and things like that. Um, I spent a lot of time. We, we played a lot of teams that ran track. OK, so the DNs would spend a lot of time each day uh, wrong shouldering pulls, you know, blowing that up at the, at the point of 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 attack. Um, nose guards mostly would be working on, you know, read and react, striking, plugging a gap, dropping a double team or bull rushing the quarterback. So it, it, it seems very simple. But I think what I learned, you know, over two years and again, I'm still young, is the simpler, the better. Um, just do your job is sort of what we tell the kids and not worry who gets the credit and then we'll all succeed. And I think the kids really saw that at, at Sissonville. I feel, I told them, 
that was the first time all year I really, really felt that they bought into what they were being taught and did it. And even though it, at first glance, it looked like they might not have been getting a lot of credit, we ended up having some sacks, uh, tackles for losses. Um, and, and I think they understood that, wow, you know, this, what we're doing at practice might not be glamorous, but it's effective. And, and once they got that, we really, we really started playing well. Oh, no doubt. I, I've coached, well, I didn't directly coach the D-line, but I was with them a lot because uh, I coached linebackers. And when they would go to Skelly, this was when I was the D- coordinator, I would stay with the D-line um, and help our D-line coach. And, man, all we did was block reaction. That's basically all we did. Sure. I mean, it was base block, okay, so like ISO block, down block, reach block, away, pull two. Um, you know, we would spill things in that defense. We were four, two, five-ish, cover, cover three, cover one. Um you know, and then pass rush is our last thing. So I'd always tell them, hey, man, if, if we if we're good at recognizing the run blocks, you get to do your pass rush. And they all want to do that, right? Yeah, you know, that's what they all want to do. Yeah, they do. And, and that's a whole beast in itself. Um, a lot of kids, you know, at first, like, well, you just beat your guy fly after the quarterback with reckless abandon. But then they didn't understand, you know, guys, good quarterbacks are going to step up in the pocket. When you get the quarterback depth, you got to rip underneath and come under, you know, it, it, it took a while. I would get guys wanting to widen their splits to try and defeat a man. They didn't really understand how you set up a pass rush move as far as maybe the first time the DM will drive up field, get that tackle in his kick step, you know, flying back. And then the next time you'll, you'll show a jab up field and rip back underneath all those progressions. Um, it took some time for that. And again, Mm -hmm. high school kids, unless you're a really, really good player, it's hard for them to read and react and then say, Oh wait, it's third and seven. I need to go now. So we had to teach them, you know, down and distance tendencies. Um, And again, I'm not sitting here saying these kids didn't know anything. We had 18 seniors. They did. Okay. It just took some refining of some of the skills Mm -hmm. is what really we had to do. Yeah. You know, having football knowledge is something I think we as coaches take, for granted and that's something i learn every year is you have to teach kids just to the to the max because you don't know what they don't know until you find out they don't know it you know sure. what i mean like you and you can tell them but until they can do it in a pressurized situation they really don't know it um i had a coach a couple of years ago tell me football is just organized chaos so make it simple so when stuff goes crazy they just revert back to what you taught them taught them to do right and 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 i mean you know you've heard this quote before and it it holds true in football too everyone has a plan so they get hit in the mouth well that happens the first play of the football game so you're right if there's not muscle memory or there's not those simple basic skills and drills that you do every day they're not going to remember it and they're not going to know what to do in the heat of battle um, and that's why a lot of times we, we like to keep things simple. Now, you know, the secondary, <laughs> I don't know how to coach the secondary coach hot does that. I have no idea what those guys are doing there. There's a hundred moving parts back there. So I'm glad that I just get to work with the guys with their, with their hands in the dirt, you know, and going in there and making tackles right at the line of scrimmage or maybe getting a quarterback pressure. Oh, no doubt, man. That's uh, I was talking to one of our coaches, not this season, but the season before and, he goes, man, I didn't realize the secondary was so complicated. I said, you know, it's not complicated, but there's more to it, uh, you know, schematically recognizing formations, those types, those types of things. And we play a lot of man to man. So, 
you know, it's it's simple, but there are some rules as far as, you know, what do you do when you get trips? Do you flip over and take three? Uh, those types of those types of things. Um, yeah. And, and I think, too, it is, um, you know, if I sat down and started to learn the position with Coach Hot, it, it would make more sense. Like, I know we ran split field coverage um, and I started to learn the basics and the lingo, but I was so focused on making sure my guys up front did a good job that I didn't have time to worry about who's covering who, who has first man out of the backfield. I'm like, yeah, y'all figure that out. We'll worry about who's going to make the tackle. <laughs> Shoot, I need to come up there and talk with Coach Hop, man. You guys are doing a great job. I need to come up there and talk some ball. And man, I, I love talking ball with people, man. That's the that's that's the only way you get better as a coach, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, and I think what I was shocked about most, going back to what you said about Twitter, was the willingness of of those college coaches to help young guys like us. And I was very shocked about that too at clinics. You know, when you're talking to these big D one head coaches or position coaches, they'll sit down and talk to you after the clinic, which really took me aback because I didn't know, you know, you might get the idea that maybe they're too good for us or whatever, but I didn't, I have never found that to be the case. And as a matter of fact, if you email a coach in the off season, sometimes they'll call you. I mean, I've had really good success reaching out to people who know a lot more than me about football. And that's how I'm getting better as a coach. Oh, no doubt. Our huddle right now is filled with it's, it's all high school film, but it's filmed from all over the dang place. Like, oh, sure. you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, David Hill, uh, he, he was originally from Moorfield. He, I reached out to him. He gave me a lot of plays um, down, I believe it's Dutch Fork in South Carolina. They're a really good powerhouse team down there. And they, mm-hmm. he sent me some of their defensive stuff. Uh, I saw you had Kenny Simpson on your show. Reached out to him. Yeah. He, uh, read his books. He, he has some good information out there, always willing to help. Um, trying to think uh, i forget his name right now but coach alexander i believe it is online on twitter the coach coach a he uh, does all the defensive stuff um and i just read and learn from those guys and the nice thing is when you read one of their books if you have a question they'll answer it so um you always got to keep growing as a coach and as a professional i think that's what we all do oh no doubt i mean i i think about even the guys i've had on the podcast it's usually a tweet or I'll look their, up their name on like their school's website and I'll shoot them an email and we'll start like conversing and then, you know, it ends up there on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun, but it's cool. You get to meet new people and get some new ideas. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, some people would probably be shocked that some of these guys would sit down and talk with you, but I mean, anyone who likes football wants to talk ball. So uh, I found everyone to be real helpful. Um, even, even opposing teams, you know, coaches are friends. I mean, on game day, of course we're not, but other than that, we bounce ideas around off of each other and it just makes the whole product better. Yeah. Somebody told me this years ago. And I think it's so true. You know, us coaches are the only people who understand our job in detail. You know, I think some people think, Oh, I know what's like the coach. You know, I, I'm a parent or I sit up in the stands they have no idea. They have no idea the time that goes into it and the scheme and, you know, the, the way you teach your players. And I think, you know, the coaching community is very close to that community, especially here in West Virginia. I mean, it's, it's been really cool being a head coach in this state because people are very, very, very willing to help. Uh, if you have a question or something you want to, you want to run by them. Have you found that to be the case here in West Virginia? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, like I said, we reach out to other coaches and everyone sort of has each other's back. I mean, everyone that you know the armchair quarterback you know the armchair coach parent they all know everything until you ask them to draw uh 
24 ISO on the board, they don't, they don't even know what that is. So you give them the most basic thing, they don't have a clue. Um, you ask them, you know, who does what, they don't even know the names of the positions. We all know that. And I mean, we know they love their kids and they want their kids to succeed. But at the end of the day, nobody really appreciates what goes in. Uh, we were talking after our season the other day and Coach Hot said, Pretty much, he puts about 330 to 350 days a year uh, in at our training complex and, and working on football and getting better. Um, people have no idea the amount of work that goes into this. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, I'm sitting here at my home tonight. I'm going through watching film and cut-ups and sending guys some uh, different things I found, and we're talking ball. And, and But that's what good coaches do. It's You're always talking football. You're always trying to find a way to get an edge. Uh you know, especially like for our place, we're, we're not going to out talent people most of the time. So we're trying to find an edge to be like, Hey, how do we give ourselves a chance to compete? And then, you know, just kind of see how the game, how the game goes. Yeah. I mean, we're in that boat a lot too. I mean, playing in the big 10 conference every year, we play Fairmont senior North Marion Bridgeport. I mean, I'd like to see another team that plays three caliber teams like that, usually right in a row every season. I mean, I know people do it here and there, but, but it's every year. Like, you you don't get an off week in the Big Ten. And I'm not just saying that because we coach there. Um, it, it's, it's a struggle. Uh, you know, Fairmont Senior still in the playoffs every year. You know, that's going to be a battle. Um, something interesting this year, too, you talked about, you know, losing the stadium. It was also the first time that – uh, we ever played Tigers Valley, and they're in Randolph County as well. Uh, and that game never had happened before. And it's it took COVID to make it happen, which is great. But it also was a little bit sad because we couldn't have a lot of fans there. And that would have been a sold-out standing room only game. Um, it, it's sort of an unwritten rivalry, even though we've never played. All the kids are close. You know, the communities know each other. Um, and, and that's a big bragging rights game. And we were fortunate enough to go in there and win that game. But um, it was a challenge, okay? They, they gave us all they had, and I know they're single A, um, and we're double A, but it, it, we knew it was going to be one of those. We called it the woodshed game because everyone was going out there and giving you the best they got, no matter what the rankings. They were ranked in the state. We were ranked in the state. Um, it made for a really great atmosphere for Randolph County. Yeah, that's so cool. That's one cool thing about COVID. People were playing teams they may not have played in the past. And like you were talking about, inter-county rivals, uh, that's awesome, man. That is that is so so cool. That's 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 something that I, I I hope stays after COVID is that people play people regardless of classification. So like in Kanawha County, a couple double A's played a couple triple A's they normally wouldn't play, but they were good games. And I hope that that sticks. What are your what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, I think the unfortunate thing is in, in West Virginia, and I don't know how it is in other states. Um, a lot of coaches are hesitant to play those games, especially if you're playing down a class because they feel, well, it does nothing for us. If we win, we're not going to get any points towards the playoffs. Um, and some of the, the classes below, they generally don't want to play it because they don't think they can be competitive. And um, you know, they're like, well, we don't want to get anybody hurt. You have all the excuses. So I kind of get it, but I wish there was, was games like that that were played there a lot of people in our county would like to see the tigers valley elkins game be played every year um and during the week of the forest festival sort of like that the ending of the festival friday night lights mm. the, the two teams so that's been milled around but honestly i truthfully don't ever see that game happening again uh to be honest with you there there's some other yeah. politics involved with that but um it'll probably never happen i i really 
do like a lot of the stuff the SSAC does, but I think the point system is something that needs to be tweaked because I know in two, so 2017 I was at Riverside and we ended up four and six and didn't make the playoffs, but we were definitely better than the 16, the 15, the 14 seed that year. I mean, I'm talking because I talked to the teams that played those teams and we were definitely better, but the point system kept us out. And I feel like you can schedule yourself into the playoffs in West Virginia. And I just don't think that's right. I think that they should take the best teams. And I think there needs to be like uh, some kind of, you know, factor for strength of schedule. Because if I'm playing like that year, we played like capital um, week two, you know, we get no points because we lose to them, but somebody could play, you know, whoever and beat them and they get all the points. I just don't think that's right. You know, I, I think there needs to be some kind of discussion there. Right, and I I see that a lot too. Teams dodging other teams, and I'm not even talking about COVID dodging. Um, just throughout the season. I mean, if you wanted to water down your schedule, I guess is the best way to put it, and win all those games, you can do that. And like you said, make the playoffs when you have no business being there. Um, there has to be something looked at for strength of schedule. I agree with you there because then it rewards you for, for scheduling a tougher opponent, you know, and I think it makes for better games. Um, now that's not saying, you know, that I want to go up there and play Martinsburg, but right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Somebody does. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I saw it. Somebody was typing about this somewhere. I was reading and you know, somebody was saying, you know, how about we make it in, everybody makes the playoffs in football, kind of like in basketball and baseball. And then people were giving pushback. And I was thinking to myself, no, that's the best idea. Everybody would win there because everybody would make more money. Um, you know, and I, it should be rewarded to make the playoffs, I guess. But there's not that many schools in West Virginia. You know what I mean? Like, there's not. Yeah. We yeah. don't have very many. You know what I mean? Like, we could do that and everybody could kind of make some more some more cash. But that's maybe that's a you know an opinion that m- most people don't hold. But – you know, that was something I was thinking about the other day. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, shoot. Well, thank you coach for, for coming on. Um, I like to do this before we end, give a, a young coach, a guy getting into the profession, some, some advice, something that you wish you knew when you were getting into this profession. Well, again, it's only my second year, but looking back on my first year, um, if I could give you one piece of advice is just, keep your mouth closed and learn. Um, You may not always agree with everything, but there's a reason that it's being done that way. Um, And ask a lot of questions. Don't just be sitting there uh, and and kind of taking it all in. Ask and learn. um, And you'll find that you'll get more responsibility as you start to ask, learn, and understand what scheme and what is going on with your team. And don't be afraid to, to do whatever is needed to help the program be better. Coach, that is excellent advice that is something that um i wish more guys took the heart that's that's fantastic coach thank you for coming on and uh man i wish y'all luck getting your uh stadium built and congratulations on a great season all right man thanks for having me i appreciate it and keep up the good work yes sir all right thank you